Welcome to Semper Sometimes with Benny. Um, today on our episode, this is going to be episode two of Pat's Purpose, and we have joining us the co-owner of Pat's Purpose, Julian. Um, he's going to introduce himself quickly um, and kind of just go into who he is, kind of give us background on who he is. And um, also, I do want to mention he is out in Ohio right now. Um, so we are doing this through my iPad. We're not seeing anyone's faces, so it's definitely going to be a little bit challenging. Um, and also the audio might be just a little different because um, can't really do much about that. So um, without further ado, Julian, welcome. Hey, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Yeah, my name is Julian. Um, from Minneapolis, Minnesota, actually born and raised. Um, I joined the Marine Corps straight out of high school um, in 2007. Um, I went to uh, San Diego, California for boot camp. And then, uh, from there, I went to uh, school infantry. Then I went to uh, 1st Battalion, 3rd Marines out there in Hawaii. So I got to enjoy the Hawaii life out there, I guess, right? <laughs> nice. How was that? I've never I've never had the privilege of going, and I have uh, a bunch of friends out there right now, actually, and some of the people that I put in the Marine Corps out there in Hawaii. So uh, I hear great things. How was it? It, it? it was good. I mean, to be honest, looking back is you never really want to kind of live where you want a vacation because it kind of gets old in a weird way. Like, I mean, in my four years, I deployed three times. So, I mean, it, realistically, I was only, you know, back in Hawaii for a fraction of the time, you know, because we do our buildups and go up to, you know, 29 Palms. So, I mean, we do various trips as far as training up. So it kind of just depended. We were probably, you know, six to seven months out of the year, depending on the year we were back in Hawaii. So realistically, you weren't living there. It was your vacation home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, just, just the barracks, you know, and all that. That's it. I just swapping those out. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So, how was like? Did you surf a lot? Did you scuba dive? Did you get to see the islands? Like, how was? Yeah. How so was yeah, it? we we we. Uh, I did the stairway to heaven before they basically uh, nixed that and wouldn't let people go up it. But it's a it's a beautiful view over the whole island. You can kind of see it on Oahu there. Um, it's kind of like a rickety kind of like ladder type steps going up to the top. You can get kind of far up there now, but you can only, I don't know how far you can get up to the top, but I know you can't make it to the top without, you know, possibly getting in trouble. Okay. So, I mean, that was always fun. Okay. And um, so you are, you're infantry, right? Yep. Yep. I was on 311. What, what, um, what do you call it? Like, were you a machine gunner? What was your... I was, uh, I was a rifleman, so I was in uh, I was in Bravo Company, um, Third Platoon. Okay. Okay. So, um, just because I, I you're the first infantryman that I've actually had the ability to have. Well, besides my boy Rhino, who was on, but he kind of talked about the body bearers and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, since you're on, um, can you kind of just give us a little bit of background, as much as you can, um, about what the life of an infantryman looks like? What you know, what does a rifleman do? What, you know, what kind of training do you do? Like, what's the background that you can give us or kind of just put us through? I'd say the down and dirty strap of a rifleman is I'm the one that kicks in that door. You know, I might have an assault man come in and set a breach charge. Once that breach charge goes off, I'm, I'm the guy flying in that room first. Um, so you're doing a lot of, a lot of boots on the ground, you know, humping a lot of weight, pushing buildings, um, clearing a lot of houses, clearing any urban <laughs> terrain. Um, we did a lot of, uh, you know, as far as training, as far as uh, when it comes to um, house clearing, because deployments, we had buildups going to Iraq. We did a lot of urban areas. So we wanted to make sure our uh, our mount training was up to par with uh, our standards. Um, and then we also did a lot of like hiking, you know, as far as 
humping all that weight throughout um, Hawaii, you know, all the various hills that we had throughout there, whatever you want to call them. I mean, mm-hmm. they got mountains, whatever those things are. But, I mean, it's it's a lot, a lot of groundwork as far as moving a lot of, lot of, lot of weight. Um, just basically being in the suck is what they call it. Yeah, just being out there humping and shit. Um, yeah. Okay. So, okay. So you said that you deployed three times, was it? Yep. Yep. I did okay. uh, two. De- yep. Two deployments to uh, Afghanistan and one to Iraq. Okay. Can you tell us a little about a little bit about those? Do you have any? Do you have any memories? Um, anything that comes to mind when you talk about it? Like, did you ever, you know, deal with or maybe have any issues with like PTSD or anything? Especially having three combat deployments. You know, did you ever deal with anything like that? Yeah, so I mean, uh, definitely when I when I first joined, we I joined in 07 and we went st- station Hawaii and with I'm not even kidding, probably eight months, uh, probably like six months into the fleet, we deployed to Iraq in 08. Um, was was dying down in Iraq, wasn't very kinetic, um, like years prior. Um, small engagements, um, not me per se, but company wide or battalion wide. We did have one Marine killed. Um, Lance Corporal Riley was killed. He was in Charlie Company, was killed. Um, and that was the only Marine we lost. We had a couple wounded. Everyone came home. And then we went to Afghanistan in 2010. Um, and that pretty much probably changed a lot of my Marine Corps career. Um, just because, I mean, a lot of things that you signed up to do, that's definitely what we got to do in Afghanistan was, I mean, very, very kinetic. Um, I mean, we did, we, we were part of, uh, operation Merserac. We did the push through Marja. So we, uh, that was one of the last strongholds of the Taliban in 2010. Um, so we had a lot of, uh, kinetic, uh, engagements throughout then. Um, it was pretty smooth until honestly, January of, uh, 2010, when we took our first KIA and that was uh, land school minor. And that pretty much kind of just changed the whole atmosphere of the deployment because at the end of the day i mean the ied threat was there but once that happened it was just like a whole reset like this it wasn't spring break fun anymore this was like all right this is this is starting to get serious yeah um and then uh after minor was killed then literally two weeks after that then uh last couple pier was killed or no, i'm sorry last couple uh pool was killed um and then shortly after that in February of 2000, uh, or February 16th, Pierre was killed, and he was our machine gunner. Uh, so we, in the span of a month, we were there, we got there in November, and then January to February was probably our worst month. We experienced a lot of casualties. Uh, so morale was very down. It went from, you know, having, you know, fi- fun firefights to all of a sudden losing Marines in a, in a split of a second. And, you know, a lot of guys had a hard time dealing with it, you know, especially myself, you know, Coming home, it was just, you know, it was, it was, we were like, we were all stuck still in Afghanistan for a long time. Damn. And I was kind of, you know, trying to uh, cope with a losing Marines and then, um, you know, trying to survive the survivor's guild that we have, you know, when we come back. And that's probably the biggest thing that Marines are dealing with now is that, you know, PTSD and that survivor's guilt. Yeah. No, I definitely, uh, that's, that's insane. What, um, so did you, you had a couple of di- different names that you had mentioned. Did you, were you close to any of them? Did you yeah, have any? So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, Minor, he was in our platoon. He was in, uh, 
So he was one of our team leaders. Um, so that was that was pretty painful when he went down because he was a he was a leadership marine. And, and the funny thing about him, in all honesty, when we de- right before we deployed, like he had such a weird sense of humor. Like he literally wrote our names down and he f- took pictures of our fucking legs and he's like, "Hey, when you guys lose your legs in Afghanistan, remember this picture. I knew what they looked like before they were gone." Like he took pictures <laughs> of all of our legs, just like d- dumb shit like that. Like you're like, "What's wrong with you, dude?" Like, well, yeah, think, like why? Yeah, why? Why our legs? Why? Like why not our yeah. faces? Like <laughs> yeah, no, he's like, I want to see your legs so I can show it to you. You know, seven months from now or whenever it is, you get we come back and. He ended up getting killed. Damn. Damn. And uh, so, how do you, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you like? I'm assuming now. Well, now it's been what almost. It's, it's like it's 14 been 11, years. Yeah, it's been what? So it's 2010. So yeah, it's been 11 years now. 11 years now. Um, a lot. A lot of times, we just deal with just you know telling stories about them or just you know trying to live in you know, a positive mindset of it. Because I mean, at the end of the day, he was so young, you know, like he had so much a bright future ahead of him, you know, like, you know, people are spared opportunity, you know, I don't want to, you know, sit back and lose my mindset, you know, because of a situation like this, when I got to make sure I got to carry on for a Marine's name, you know, like he wouldn't want none of that for anybody. I mean, none of them would, you know, it's just, and, you know, at the end of the day, it comes back. You just got to be able to, uh, I mean, it's easy to say, but just push on. But it's you know, it's not that hard. I mean, it's not easy to say like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's I can't. I can't imagine. I've. I luckily, you know, I've been fortunate um, to not have lost anybody while we were overseas. We didn't have any KIA's. You know, we had a different yeah. couple IED blasts and stuff like that. Um, right. We definitely we had a couple of different firefights, but thankfully we didn't have anybody when I was in Afghanistan. Um, yeah. Right. So do you, do you have any, I know you said that you kind of like one of the ways that you kind of get through it is you kind of tell stories about the people that you had in the past. Do you have any that maybe you want to share with us? Just because like one of the biggest things, man, that I'm trying to get across with this podcast is because um, I had somebody yesterday ask me like, hey, why did you start the podcast? One of the guys I interviewed. And I was like, yeah. well, the reason why I started the podcast is simply because there's a lot of people whose stories, like the young men that you're talking about, no one knows who the hell they are. Besides, yeah, exactly. besides your platoon, besides your command, no yeah. one knows who they ever were. You know, maybe their small town does, but somebody, yeah, exactly. you know, people never right. heard their stories. So, you know, yeah. I, I kind of want to, that's, that's really what the purpose of this whole thing is, is to kind of yeah. get those stories out that are never going to be heard. You know, like, yeah, we yeah, have definitely. the Chris Kyles and we have the Kyle Carpenters, but just yeah, because, exactly. you know, your, your Lance Corporal or your Corporal wasn't Kyle Carpenter doesn't mean that he's not just as important. You know what I mean? So yeah, exactly. that's really what this is for. Um, so if you have any stories of either of them that you oh, kind yeah. of want to share with us, that'd be awesome. Well, de- yeah, definitely. I mean, just the the mindsets. So, uh, we, we Minard's name, we called him Slim. He was probably the lankiest dude I've ever seen in my entire life. He's like six five, you know, lanky, lanky guy. Um, with his sense of humor, he was like a death metal kind of guy, like headbanger. You know, always loved his Jameson. Um, he always it was always funny because he always would talk like. He would talk shit to people, but you're just like, dude, shut the fuck up, because I'll kick your ass, you know. Because he's just so he was just such a scrawny guy, but he was just he was so smart, and like his humor, just like I said with him, you know, taking pictures of all of our legs and, yeah. and writing our names, you know, and say, hey, you know, when you get back, I'm gonna send this to you. 
Um, and then like, you know, Lance Corporal, uh, Peer, he was, uh, he was actually, was attachment to our, um, squad because he was, uh, he was a machine gunner. So, you know, when you go on deployment, you have, um, your weapons platoon that gets branched off into your first platoon, second platoon, and third platoon as support element because you have your machine gunners, your mortarmen, your assault men, um, and uh, you're, we had a couple tow. I don't think we had any tow gunners, so we didn't have any uh, tow men. So I mean, you have a section of those guys that are branched off into your squad and platoon, and Pierre was tasked into our uh, squad as our machine gunner. So that's why it took was pretty personal when he was killed because uh, he was in our squad. But he, uh, he first of all should have never been in the Marine Corps because he was. What's made it so funny was he was like 26, I think. Um, when we were all like, you know, 21 at this time yeah. and he had severe scoliosis, but a, just faked it when he's at MEPS. Like he had terrible back pain. Not only that, it's like, why the hell did you become a machine gunner, dude? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like terrible back pain. And he, mm -hmm. he didn't care. You know, he did, he always wanted to be a machine gunner. And so he was like that old man of the, of the squad. And, uh, we're, we're getting ready to deploy to Afghanistan. He gets tasked to our squad and he's opening up his sea bag and he pulls out We're we're now mind you, we're in our patrol base in uh, Afghanistan and he pulls out a George Foreman espresso maker <laughs> and a coffee maker. And we're in the middle of Afghanistan. Just get over here. And we're like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, when you get to my age, you're going to drink your coffee. And I'm like, dude, you're 26. Yeah, like you're not some old man, <laughs> you know. And he, but it, it was just hilarious because you're like, you know what? When you want a steak or when you want something, when I get it in the mail, don't come knocking on my door when you hear this foreman grilling up, you know. And I was just like, he, he would always have that kind of, like, you're just like, why'd you bring that? He would, he would bring that weight. He would hump that weight because he wanted to have that that taste of home you know like it was always funny like he like oh wait hold on hold on he had that out on like a mission on a patrol no 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 he but oh, he, he, when, oh. we, when we when we when we got to afghanistan we like every every couple weeks we'd rotate our positions yeah because we had a couple positions out west that were our kinetic area ao mm -hmm. and our, our company kind of wanted just to keep us fresh so you know we'd spend two weeks out west and they'd swap us out, and then second platoon would go out for a couple of weeks, and then we'd swap out okay. just to kind of just to kind of rotate and just to kind of keep a get us showers and keep troop morale up. Because I mean, if you're out west, it was it was essentially every day you were you were fighting. So I mean, it it kind of just depended on you know what you wanted to do in a way. You literally just had to push west, and you could you can you would have a firefight. It would just be depends on what what you wanted to do that day. Oh wow! And then um and pool. Lance Corporal Poole, he was um, he was a dude from from Florida, and he was a very shy guy. But he was like one of those sleeper dudes that would like be the guy in the corner that you would he would he would be like that silent killer that you're sitting here waiting for somebody to like erupt in a fight, and here comes Poole flying in. You know, like he's that guy that's gonna be the one like, damn it, I got hit by him. I didn't even see him coming. You know, he's that guy that you're that's reading that newspaper in the corner waiting to break some heads. Yeah. You know, like, and he—he was a—he was a—he was a saw gunner, um, in second platoon, um, and he, uh, and, and he was another—he uh, was on his second deployment as well. That was probably the biggest thing. Is, is in all honesty, our battalion we took actually five KIA the day before Minor was killed, 
um, one of our battalion armors was killed along with a British reporter was killed in an IED strike the day before Slim was killed. Oh, and then, uh, yeah, and then the next day, Minor was killed. And then, you know, 14 days later, um, Poole was killed. So, I mean, we, we at this point, we're kind of like, wow, this deployment is going to be kind of crazy. And there's all IED strikes, you know. And then, and then uh, in uh, April, our uh, weapons company um, lost a Marine, Corporal Swenson, who was actually not far from my hometown. Um, he was killed in an IED strike. So that was our biggest battle was, I mean, we... We it was just IEDs was was the biggest threat. Damn. So um, I know I had asked earlier, how do you deal with that? And you said a lot of just like telling the stories and stuff. But um, yeah, when you got home from your you know first, second, third deployment, um, <clears throat> did you have any noticeably different things going on? Um, like because yeah. I I know so like I know for myself um, when I got home from Afghanistan. Um, you know, when I was in Afghanistan, I'm motor T, so we would drive from Leatherneck to Fob Edinburgh, and yeah. it would take like it was like what 35 miles, and it would take like a week and a half, almost two weeks. Yeah. Um, so like being in Jer- being back in Jersey, being in a car, driving at a normal speed limit was like definitely something that was different. Or like, like I know, like um, for instance, like I had issues with like anger management. Like when I got back, like I freaking flipped out numerous times for no reason, just screaming at my wife or my my girlfriend at the time or my dog or whatever, or like I had like bouts of anger and like still to this day, I have issues with like memory loss. Um, so like, do you, did you find that when you got back, there was any kind of like issues that you had, like, you know, number one, reconnecting with society, reconnecting with your loved ones. Like, did you notice it? What do you, what could you tell us about like returning home from your deployment? I remember coming home, um, well, I remember when I first came home from Iraq, I just hated being around a lot of people. Like, I hated large groups. That always just was so, so difficult for me. But when the biggest one was probably when I came home from Afghanistan, I felt like I was I was so angry um, because, you know, after what we just went through and then to come home and to find out that, you know, alcohol could probably be your best friend, but now you can't be sustainable, you know. Um, so that was that was probably my biggest thing was alcohol and probably uh, anger, um, you know, just because of survivor guilt at the time frame, you know, dealing with it, you know, kind of thinking, you know, you're 21 years old, you're like, yeah, I'm too hard, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with me, you know, you don't you don't understand necessarily what you're kind of going through, you know, because all the people around you are essentially going through the same thing, you know, because you were all there, you know, so you got these, you know, 18 to 21 year old kids all together, you know, dealing with some traumatic, you know, mental health issues. Yeah. And then, you know, and then it doesn't help, you know, you add alcohol to that, you know, and then, I mean, everybody does at the barracks. I mean, come on now, it's the barracks. I mean, yeah. There's no, it's, it's, there's no, I wouldn't say the support system isn't there because the support system is there. It's just the, necessarily not the best one because the best way for us to do it is just drink together, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's like, um, I was telling my buddy about it. Uh, one of my masterminds actually, I was just talking to him and he was asking me the same thing like about the podcast and stuff. And I was like, you know, one of the things that I'm also aiming for at some point, you know, I would love whether it happens or not, I, I'll never know. But you know, something that I, I've kind of realized, like you, you're saying, like the support systems there, right? You have your friends, but you're kind of all dealing with the same thing. And now you're all kind of hanging out and drinking together. So really, like it's kind of like counterintuitive, really, if you think about it. Yeah. Exactly. And then 
And then you have people who are afraid to go and talk about it because they're afraid of their career getting getting effed up, right? Yeah. And then yeah. and then and then realistically, you know, not not dogging the Marine Corps or any kind of negativity towards the Marine Corps, but it's you know, what do we get force fed every day? Every day you have to get these annual training classes about suicide, about alcoholism, yeah. about yeah. you know all these different things. And again, I, I understand it, right? But yeah. I was talking to my master the other day, and I was like, master. I was like, there's people that are literally like, I know a Sergeant major who's getting out right now about to retire. And he literally told us, he stood in front of the whole entire command a couple months ago before I got out of, uh, off of active duty. And he straight out was like, listen, I've dealt with every single one of those things, suicide, suicidal ideations. I've dealt with alcoholism. I've dealt with divorce. And he was like straight out. And he told us like a couple of instances and stuff. And I was like, as what I was saying to this master sergeant was, if we had conversations like that, instead of literally just having a suicidal awareness class, that would yes. do more. If you had yes. a gunny, if you had a gunny standing in front of you telling you about the fucking day that he put a gun to his fucking head and almost killed himself or right. yeah. told you about like the darkest times of his life. Like, and that's really another reason why like this podcast is something that I started because like, yeah. like if you hear other people talking about, not only have they gone through it, but if you hear somebody talking about how they're currently going through right now at this very moment, now yeah. you can look at it and be like, shit, I'm not alone. Shit. Because a lot of, and that's a huge thing about it is that like, even though like, even though like you were there with your friends, you were there with your brothers in arms, even though all of you dealt like were there and you saw it all happen, you guys still felt singular and you still felt alone at the same time. Exactly. So it's exactly. like a, it's, and like you said, it's just that mental, that's just that mental blockage that you don't, you know, me and my buddy talked about it in the, in the recruiting podcast, like when he had his stroke, you know, he, he just literally was like, I'm invincible. He's like, I'm yeah. 28 years yeah. old. I run a first class P I run a 300 PFT. I run a 300 CFT. Like I'm invincible. There's nothing that I've never had an issue. And then all of a sudden one day, boom, he, he goes and has a stroke. You know, and and exactly. and it's like you said, like you know, you're you guys are eighteen, nineteen, twenty one years old, and you know, like you said, you're just young ass freaking kids. Who this is a lot of you, or this is your first real yeah. thing doing in life, and all of a sudden you're thrown into a deployment immediately, and you don't know how to deal with it. You know, the hardest thing exactly. you've ever had to deal with was a breakup, or you know, who knows yep. what everyone else's lives are, but you've never had to deal with a KIA, and. And the worst part about it is that no one can really tell you how to deal with it. No one's because every single person is different. So exactly. what are some um so you said you did have, you know, struggles and issues with alcoholism. Um yep. what are first of all, how long would you say you had issues with alcoholism? Like how how long was it that you had issues with alcohol before you identified that you had that issue? And then what right. did you do to to help yourself? Well, I think the the biggest thing is when I first got back from Afghanistan. I mean, we were just drinking at a, a crazy amount of rate. I mean, and that was probably when I realized, like, dude, I, we were going to bed at you know four o'clock in the morning to wake up for formation at five thirty to go run PFTs. Like when I was listening to your other podcasts, that your the first couple episodes, we're talking about you know you knew guys that would you know slam alcohol and freaking go run it you, know, yeah. you know ten miles that was literally what we would do on a daily basis every single day monday through friday you know if, unless we were in the field you know because i mean it was hard 
I didn't want to get in trouble with alcohol on the field. I mean, it was yeah. you didn't want to be that guy. I mean, yeah. I, I would rather you know we'd we'd have our buddy's wife like deliver us some pizza to the the beach on Bellows, and we'd act like we're assaulting the beach on Bellows out there on the Air Force base, <laughs> you know, just to get some pizza. <laughs> we're like, yeah, we got we got to do a security patrol here on the beach, and then there'd be a you know two things of pizza waiting for us, you know, so we'd chill there and get that. That's but funny. I mean, oh yeah, we we do some weird kind of ops like that, but and then. uh when the other thing is when I realized too is is when I was slowly getting out after my third deployment. I mean, our third deployment wasn't as bad, but I think that I think the hiccup I had in between the second and the third, you know, is what helped me is the fact that I was deployed again. You know, like I think that hindered the drinking aspect a little and helped me kind of slow down a little bit because when I got back, I mean, I picked it back up, but I think I I think I would have been in a lot of trouble if I would have continued. Gotcha, um, gotcha. If I never, if I never would have deployed again, and then when I got home, it was probably about maybe a year strong of drinking, and then um, just kind of just I don't know. I could just see, feel myself kind of just spiraling in a way, you know, because mm -hmm. I was just like, dude, everything I was spending my money on was alcohol, you know. I was just like, dang, I'm drinking a lot, you know. I every day I'm waking up at you know two o'clock in the in the afternoon because I was out drinking all night, you know, and I'm getting ready to just do it again, you know. Yeah. And then uh, a lot of times my buddies would just give me a hard time. I'm like, dude, man, you got to slow down. I'm like, oh, that's what I was made to do. Uh, and then, um, yeah, I think that's when I really realized when people just started telling me, like, dude, you're uh, like, all you smell like is alcohol. Oh, so you had people coming to you, like your voice and shit saying it to you? Well, yeah, they were because uh, I had some roommates and like, dude, man, you got to uh, slow down, man. You're just drinking. That's all you're doing. You know, and yeah. I was like, well, I mean, I, I'd go to work, you know, but I wasn't drunk at work because I worked at the airport. You know, I couldn't, I, I worked for Delta Airlines at the time, so I couldn't, uh, I couldn't go to work drunk because I'm dealing with these planes and stuff like that. So I'd be my mm -hmm. only sober time would just be at work and is, I would, I would bike to work and literally have beer on the way home in my backpack ready to go so I could just sit here and just chug. <laughs> Damn. So, um, so when did you, you met Pat on your third deployment? Yeah, so that was uh, on my third deployment. Uh, what was kind of crazy is um, I'm getting I'm getting to the point where we just get back from we're doing another build up because our, our battalion is going to do a another deployment. I'm still in one three at this point. Um, our battalion is getting ready to go to Garbshire um, in about eight months, and uh, so they're doing their little workup. And we went to Bridgeport to do some of the mountain warfare training out there. Um, I actually got to be op four. That was pretty cool because I didn't have to hump any of that mountains, dude. I just chilled at the bottom base camp and just, you know, dressed up as some, you know, local national from, you know, Afghanistan and act like I was off for, you know, shooting at Marines as they patrol. And <laughs> it was it was I ended up skating on that. It was it was great. And then uh, I hear we're getting ready to go into 96. Like we just get back from California and I'm in the company office, and I hear our company or our first sergeant um, talking about um, two three, which was the battalion Patrick was in. Um, had like they had like thirty five to like forty drug pops in the battalion, the whole battalion the week God, prior. Damn. So, yeah, they're getting ready to deploy, and so they're like, "Well, we need Marines," you know. So like, I hear this, and I'm kind of like. I, mean, I didn't know if I wanted to say anything, you know, because I shouldn't have even have heard the conversation. You know, I was yeah, like, yeah. am I going to get, am I going to get yelled at for eavesdropping? Yeah, yeah. You know, but, but my first sergeant kind of liked me, you know, so. What were you in, at this time? Were you a corporal, a sergeant? I was, I was a Lance corporal. 
I was a Lance Corporal. Yeah, I was a, I, uh, I never got a NJP or nothing. I was a, yeah, I was a Lance Corporal at the time. I was a team leader on my second deployment. So I, um, so I was just, I was just getting ready to EAS and probably about eight months at this point. And so, uh, I go up to first sergeant and I was like, Hey, first sergeant, you know, just two, three knee Marines. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know? And I'm like, I don't know. You're right. First sergeant. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, I kind of, I was like, you know, I, I kind of wanted to go off his reaction. And then, you know, I kind of said something again, like two, three knee Marines first sergeant. And he's like, all right, bitch, what'd you hear in that phone call? And I'm like, I didn't hear anything first sergeant. I just hear that someone said that they need Marines. Like, do we need Marines? And, uh, he goes, well, two, three had a bunch of drug pops, um, and they need Marines. So I'm going to talk to the company. I'm going to see if the company will, you know, anybody wants to go. And so what was crazy is when first Sergeant first said this, like there was four of us that came forward and the whole company, Bravo company, four of us came forward saying that we wanted to deploy again. And like, we were going to leave like in the next couple of days, like this is how serious it was. And so, um, we're, we're our battalion supposed to go into 96 and the worst part about it too, is I was actually supposed to go on leave for Thanksgiving. And I had a plane ticket home and everything. And my first sergeant says, after he tells us this, he's like, Hey, go back to your barracks. You know, this is a thir- this is Thursday. And he's like, I'll call you tonight to what you need, for what information you need for, you know, the following, uh, couple days here. And so I, I get to, he calls me that night and he's like, Hey, um, if you want to go with two, three, you need to go right here, right now to the company office. And I'm like, first sergeant, it's like nine 30. And I was like, I've been drinking all night, you know? <laughs> and he's like, well, if you want to go, you need to go there now. So that's on you. You know, like I really don't give a fuck. Uh, so I was like, Oh, oh shit. So I go over there and I, I get to the, their company office and I'm like, yeah, um, I'm here from one, three. And they're like, all right, um, be here tomorrow at zero six. And I'm like, wait, whoa, whoa. I'm on a 96 right now. They're like, well, if you're in two, if you're going to be coming to two, three, you ain't in one, three's 96 no more. Are you? And I was like, well, fair enough. <laughs> so, so, uh, I get to the next morning. I, I literally check out of one, three and check into two, three to TMO all my shit to deploy with two, three in the next day or two. And so oh, I wow. deploy. Yeah. So I literally had to, I was gone. Like I call my parents, you know, I, that's the worst part about it is now this, you know, 11 years later, my dad knows, but my mom never knew I volunteered for my third deployment. I just told her <laughs> I had to go. So now like she, she's going to hear this. And you were, and gonna, you were, and you were just about to go to Thanksgiving too. Yeah. I was just about to go home. Oh, on Thanksgiving. So shit. yeah, I was, I was, you know, and then that was, that was for, for me too. Like this deployment was kind of personal in a way. Like I was like, you know, a, I want, I still want revenge and, you know, like I, I, I want to go to Afghanistan again, you know, I'm not re-enlisting, you know, like I, I was like, I want to go again. Question, real quick. Yeah. Why did you? Why did you already have it? I'm assuming because of what the statement you just made. You, why did you already have it in your head that you weren't reenlisting? Well, um, I heard the direction that our battalion was going, um, and it didn't sound like it sounded like to me at that point the war was coming to an end, um, and you know, and essentially that's what I joined for, and so I was like, you know. If I if I'm not going to deploy because they were talking about Muse and I was I didn't want to do my B billet yet, um, I was like I want to do I want to do another couple deployments while I'm still young, and you know with leadership, um, 
um, leadership billets, you know, I don't want to come back and just, you know, I'd rather come back and be like a company gunny than come back and be like a, a platoon sergeant, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so they, uh, it didn't sound like the, uh, deployments were there anymore. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to get out. Um, and then our company, our battalion ended up going to Afghanistan again. But at this point I was already with two, three. Got you. Got you. Okay. All right. So you don't go to Thanksgiving, you go to Afghanistan and, um, how do you like what goes on from there? Well, yeah. So then, so basically how, how I first meet, um, Patrick was, so I get there with two, three, um, and they, and I'm a 11, mind you, a rifleman and they put me in a weapons company. So I'm like, all right. I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I know how to use a machine gun. I was like, I could use a fucking Mark 19, my dude's 50 cal, you know, the pig 240. I don't care. You know, I can do that. I can do any kind of um, weapon system that the infantrymen can deploy. I can do that. Maybe not mortars. I'll drop mortars, but if you need me to dial some shit up, that's for Patrick. <laughs> I can't dial shit up on mortars, man. You got to be good at math. I'm not, you know, I can't drop bombs like that. And so I, uh, so I get there. Um, so they find out this is going to be my third deployment. You know, I just went there for a, for the money, the revenge, the, the, you know, the, to have some fun again. And, uh, they're like, well, shit, I'm a Lance Corporal at the time. They're like, you're about to, you're a squad leader now. So I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I came from having no, no kind of leadership or no kind of like responsibility to now, like, now you guys just made me a squad leader. Like I did not sign up for this whatsoever. So I was kind of like, golly. So once they told me this, I was like, all right, let me go meet my squad. So I go to meet my squad and we're missing one Marine. And I'm like, who the fuck are we missing? And they're looking around like, oh, we're missing Duva. And that's Patrick. So I was like, yeah, yeah. Hey, who the fuck's Duva? I'm like, who the fuck's Duva? They're like, oh, he's over there sleeping. I was like, well, go fucking get him up. So they walk over there, they kind of shake his rack. He doesn't get up. So I just walk over there and I kick his rack. And if anybody knows, like, if you're sleeping and someone kicks your rack, that shit is so annoying. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like when you get your rack kicked, like that means you a you're in trouble. Like, yeah, like it means you know get it. the fuck up. Like, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know like, it. I hate, that shake. I hate... That shake isn't <laughs> from like a hand or like a or like yeah. an accident. Like that kick is you feel the force of that kick and you're like fuck. Yeah, I'm, you... I'm about to get yelled at. Yeah. So he he, he fucking he. I just see his eyes open up and he literally goes, "The fuck? Who the fuck are you?" You know, I'm like, I'm like, you know. I'm, I'm Lance Pro McFadden, I'm your squad leader. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, so we just wake Pat up and he kind of looks at me and he's like, what the fuck? Who the fuck are you? So he's kind of wondering, you know, who I am as I just, you know, kick this man's rack to get him up. You know, I realize that, oh, this is my new squad leader now. So I'm trying to get all their information. You know, their, their, uh, is what you call, we call them kill cards. Um, kill cards are basically their, their last four, their social, um, their, uh, blood type, any known allergies, just in case anything happens to them as far as like we're on patrol, so we can send it over to the uh, front nine line, you know, if they need to get Kazavac. Um, so I had to get all this information. This is my first time, you know, meeting him was I had to, you know, get his kill card. <laughs> he wasn't having it. Damn, that's crazy. So, um, so what did, can you kind of tell us so I'm going to be real. Um, I kind of said this in the first podcast. I only knew Pat um, briefly. Um, I met him before I went to boot camp because me and him actually joined at the same, at the same RSS. Okay. Um, and then I actually met him years later because he um, he promoted one of my good friends, the corporal. Um, nice, nice. And then, 
Yeah, we had a couple of a, a bunch of times. Um, we kind of just met at the bar. Like we, there's this bar that um, that they used to go to called Jack's, um, at, and by like the college. And him and his yeah. buddy, him and his buddy Rob used to go there. So I bumped into them occasionally, but I yeah. never really, besides drunken conversations with Pat, I don't think I ever really relate talk to him so i don't really know much about him all i know is from what his his sister shared and what is from what chelsea shared so can you kind of give us you know your view of him kind of tell us about him since we you know clearly can't hear from him and just kind of tell us about like the kind of person that he was any kind of stories that you have anything that you guys went through with you know through while being his squad leader um and then kind of go from there yeah definitely um I mean, first off, Pat was was a, a straight savage. Like, if you ask me one word to describe him, I would just say savage. Like he he was he was very you know shy at first when you first kind of met him, um, but if he liked you, you know he would he he would he would call you his boy. You know, like he he was the kind of guy like you would want in your corner um, for the simple fact that you knew he was a smaller guy, but the fight in him was just unbelievable. I mean, like every time me and him got, went to a bar, we were fighting somebody. We were getting kicked out and fighting somebody. I think like we've, we've gone out um, multiple times with Chelsea and, and my wife and him and um, Pat. And then uh, we'd get kicked out all the time. And the girls just hated us because we couldn't go out and not get kicked out. Like it, it was like, we were going to fight somebody. Somebody's going to get punched. Somebody's getting knocked out. And it was just every time we'd go to a bar, it would, that would happen. Um, and he, uh, but he was very smart. Um, he loved history, so he was very smart when it came to history. So that, that he would, that you'd like, where do you get this information from, dude? Like, or, or why do you even care about this? You know, and it wasn't just like, it was just a lot of U.S. history he was very fond of. Um, and I think that's probably some of the reason why he joined, you know, the Marine Corps, you know, the, the Marine Corps history just in general and just the, the richness and the, the camaraderie. And I mean, just with him alone, I mean, he would he would uh, he would kind of light up your the room. A, if if you just st- started talking to him, you could just tell, you know, just how he would talk, like how he carried his his tone and his his his, uh, his you know, stature. Um, he would just kind of just come off as just like, golly, this guy kind of talks like he's a fucking giant. I mean, cause that's basically what he was. But you're just looking at him, and you're like, you're a small guy. I mean, he wasn't tiny, yeah, by any means. But he, you know, he's probably, you know, he was your average male height, you know, average male build. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we'd we'd get in a lot of trouble together. <laughs> Damn. Okay. So, um, so you guys went through the deployment together. You like, how do you guys become? Like best friends, like how do you guys become like this close knit group of people? Because from yeah. what I understand is that Chelsea's twin sister is your wife. Yes, yes. So yes, yeah. So how does how does something like that happen? Like, well, I I get I get out um, in 2011. He still got like God, at least that's what's crazy is like it, that was his first deployment. And it was my third, so it was like my literally tail end of his my Marine Corps career, and he still got you know another two years left. And mm-hmm. uh, so, me and him maintain contact. Um, he would ask me for advice actually um, over time, just because he. I always remember him telling me, he's like, dude, when I when I become a squad leader like you, man, I want to be a leader like you, man. And I was just like, why do you want to be? Why does somebody want to be like me? Like, I never really <laughs> understood, like, you know, but I always it always took to heart to me, you know, because I just like, 
man. And I, I was like, I don't really know what I did or, you know, I was like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm tactfully sound, you know, when it comes to that, you know, if you need to give, you need, you got, you got a, you know, you need a mission to go, I'll go knock it out. Um, you know, any kind of, you know, any way you need it done. But it was just like, I just like, why the hell does this, this mortarman fucking like me? And, you know, yeah. I think, I, and it was just the same mindset as, as, as me. I think what he saw, like, he's like, this Lance Corporal, is on his third deployment. All these other squad leaders are, you know, corporals and sergeants. And, you know, like, you know, he, I would, we would always get the tail end of the ship because I was a Lance, but I was just, I guess, you know, people, I was always, I would always give the other, other squads a hard time. I'm like, Dude, your squad leader is a little tiny, little sergeant, man. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I was like, hey, cause they already knew. And it was just always so funny to me, you know, because like they'd always come to me like, hey, what would you do on this or what would you do on that i'm like did you if you get stuck in an l-shaped ambush this and that you know like it was just kind of scenarios they'd always ask me a because i was 11 and a lot of these guys were weapons marines you know patrolling the streets on their feet you know they they essentially didn't really know what they were doing in a way so like yeah so me and him maintained a lot of contact just because he would always ask pick my brain and i would always you know i'm still i was freshly out so i mean my mindset was still somewhat there so mm-hmm uh, we maintain, and then uh, he goes to somebody's uh, wedding in um, in our company, and he meets Chelsea. You know, I hear this, and I was like, oh, dang, she's a good-looking girl. She got any friends, you know, just kind of being funny. And he's like, oh, she got a twin sister, you know. So I'm like, wait, what? Like, you know, <laughs> so I'm, you, know what's, like, you know what's funny before you continue on with this, right? Yeah. When I was talking on the, on the first episode, and Chelsea was kind of explaining it to me, I was like, there's got to be a totally different side of this from a Marine male standpoint. Yeah. And I was like, I can't wait to hear it. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to hear like the male Marine standpoint from this. Cause it's gotta be funny. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. And so freaking he, he, you know, he tells me she got twin sister. So I was like, dude, I was like, hell no. <laughs> I was like, all right. I was like, you know, what's her name, dude? You know, I'm like, she got a boyfriend, you know? I'm like, you know, and I, I work for the airlines at this point. So, like, I was like, dude, I'll fly out to see y'all. You know, like, that's easy, you know, because I, yeah. I, I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll pull up on you. And uh, so he, I get I get her number. Uh, we kind of talking back and forth. And finally, she was like, all right, you know, you you can come. I'll, I'll meet you. But, you know, like I said, I, I literally just flew out there for like three days two or three days you know met her and then we just kind of talked from there and then slowly uh kind of kindled a relationship and then with this just me and him kept close because when i was like hey yo when you going to ohio and he's like oh i'm going here and i'm like oh hell yeah i'll see you then you know so we kind of planned around each other you know because he was going on leave he would come go come to ohio hang out with chelsea for you know his you know however long his block leave was and then he'd fly back to hawaii and then, you know, mm-hmm. I would try to come fall in suit with when he would come home. I would try to come when he was here. And so we just maintained that friendship over the years. And then as our relationship grew, his and Chelsea's relationship grew. So we kind of just just kept ours going and it just get, we just got stronger and stronger. Oh, oh. so um, kind of tell us from your point of view, when did you guys, when did you hear about, you know, him, you know, getting diagnosed with cancer? Like what? What was going through your mind? How were you feeling? Like, you know, what kind of happened with that? When uh, I remember when I first heard it, it was like 2018. Like, after, when I first heard it, I was kind of like, 
I, obviously, no one jokes with that, you know. But like when I first heard, I just kind of wanted to deny it, you know, because it's like that, that doesn't happen, you know. I'm like, that's Pat, dude. Like he'll, he'll kick that shit's ass. Like that's that, that, yeah. that ain't nothing. Like he, he's a fighter, you know. So it was kind of like it was more of a denial thing too, because you know I, I wasn't I, I didn't see him all the time, you know. So I wasn't seeing his effects on him personally, you know. Me and him would always talk. We'd always talk on the phone. That wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that. But it was just like. Until I really saw him, because there's, I went out there a couple times because I would drive him to his appointments when he was going to Sloan. Um, oh, really? Out there. Yeah, I drove him and his mom to some of their appointments. And when I would see him the second time when it came, when the cancers came back stronger than it was before when the tumors were in his brain and his spine, um, that's when it really got me because I could see him suffering. I was just like, you know, he was kind of those guy, a guy that would he would never show his cards or never show his emotion unless he was physically in the moment of like beating someone's head in. Well, unfortunately, you see anger there. You know, like you see that. Yeah. But like when I, you know, like I'm just sitting here, I'm like, damn, dude. Like, I was like, this ain't supposed to be. Like, it, and that was probably the biggest thing for me. I was just like, like, you know, a young guy, he can't even like he can barely even see me. You know, but he knows I'm here because of my voice, you know, like it was, you know, just like doing little things like, hey, can you go, can you go pass me my drink? Because I can't see where it is, you know, little things like that, like is when it really hit me, like this is kind of serious. Yeah. You know, like it's not just, you know, let's go through chemo and you're going to be fine in, you know, X amount of months. Yeah. It's just like he went through his chemo and then when it came back in 2020 and then just kind of a, it was in a weird way, just kind of a spiral effect. I saw him probably a month ago before he died um, is when I went out there and I saw him and we took our last picture together. And uh, it was, I mean, you know, seeing somebody a on hospice laying in there, literally he can't do anything. Like he's got no motion, like no motion as far as like, we can move his arms and stuff like that. He can't see very well. I mean, he can barely talk, you know, and, he, you know, I'm just like, what really got me was when I was leaving and I was like, hey, man, I got to go. And he literally tried to get up and go with me. And I'm like, bro, you, you, what are you doing? You know, like, <laughs> he's like, we got to go. And I was like, man, Damn. no, man, you know, so like that was probably that was hard, you know, when I saw him that last time, just because I was just like, man, you know, I can, I, A, I saw the effects and I just knew what was happening. Yeah. You know, it's crazy because right now as we're filming this, it's just July 4th, right? And I'm in my bedroom doing this podcast and all I hear is fireworks going off, right? Right. And, I got them too. <laughs> and it's, and it's crazy because we were supposed to do this on Friday and then I got caught up with the garage, and Saturday we were supposed to be, we couldn't do it because you had some stuff going on. And yeah. I think it's I think this whole this what I've realized from talking with Chelsea, from talking with Bree, is that a lot of crazy things have happened with dates. And now, mind you, dude, dude yeah, <laughs> there's no there's no reason why this suddenly ended up working on Independence Day. Yeah, and now we're right. having this, you know, I mean, and it's just, it's just strange, man, that, that things like that happen, man. And that God, you know, God puts, you know, something that I've been really dealing with lately is that it's something like that, man. Like God, God puts people in our lives when we need them most. You know what I mean? I mean, that's, like, that's the thing. Yeah. 
like you know like it's crazy the the whole situation with you guys like how you know you meet you're not even supposed to be on this deployment you hear this phone call that you're not supposed to hear you have the balls and the intestinal fortitude to tell a first sergeant hey do you need me he says yes he puts you in a, in a squad leader position where everybody else around is a corporal or a sergeant now you're in charge of pat now you guys become lifelong friends now he invites you to a, he pretty much hooks you up with your now wife and yeah. now, and yes, that fit. And now, here's the thing, too. And this is what I was saying to uh, to Bree and to Chelsea. Like, yeah, it sucks. You know, I, I could never understand it because I haven't had to deal with it. But you know, yeah, you lose Pat, but yet you gained a different brother, and exactly. and you gained a different family member, and somebody who shared something so close, like war. You guys have a bond that other people don't have, and now Bree and Chelsea still have that commonality. And it's even crazier because you think about it, you're a brother-in-law right? to both of them. You know what I mean? So yeah. you're, you're now, and you're a brother in spirit to, you know, so it's, it's crazy just how it all, you know, it works really out. Is. It really is. Um, like what's and, yeah, and it's, it's even crazier because like we, it's just divine intervention. We could never, we could never put something like that together. Like yeah, right. and and it, and it happens like that, man. And that's why you know it's it's crazy the the plan that God has that we just don't even understand and can't see. So exactly. um, so what what kind of brought about you know? So first of all, kind of go into what's the purpose of Pat's purpose, um, and also what what brought about it, whose idea was it, and what are you guys trying to do? Hey, so so real quick, since you said something about dates, what's even funnier is so Pat's birthday is April twenty sixth. My brother's birthday is April twenty sixth. Wild <laughs> word. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, yeah, so bro. I mean, like, no, this is crazy, better. man. Like it I gotta listen back better. to it. I gotta listen so, like, back to it because like Bree was telling me about how he graduated boot camp on her birthday. Then yeah. he says. You know the fifth of you know the fifth, the thing from Viva for Vendetta is yeah, the day that he dies. Remember the fifth of November. Yeah, yeah, like dude, I don't know what the heck it was with Pat and dates, but man, it's crazy, bro. It, it really is. It really is. But uh, no, so so Pat's purpose. Um, we started it um, for basically just to build awareness of the effects of of toxic exposure, um, and the toxic exposures are just the things that we've had in um, our burn pits overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan, and just and not just the burn pits, it's also the asbestos that we're finding in these barracks in Camp Lejeune and, and in the Army as well, too. I mean, it's any kind of exposures that we've had is kind of toxic you know anything in aviation the fumes of any of that fuels is is terrible i mean that's the effects that we're dealing with now and just trying to build awareness trying to advocate for veterans just i mean there's something out there taking us out and it's not the enemy yeah yeah man. And, and that's the and that's the crazy thing too man is like if you look at the numbers and you see like how in like vietnam or in these different eras there were so many people who were dying but they were dying to the war but now you have people who are coming home and you have Marines and sailors and, you know, veterans from all different walks of life that are dying from cancer, that are dying from alcoholism, suicide. Like the war came home with them. And yeah. and, I, and it's like I was I said in another one of my episodes, but it's it's crazy, man. Like, I don't know how I would ever feel if I was the parent that was told, Hey, your son died because of a training accident or your son died because of this. And it's like, right. bro, my son joined the Marine Corps 
like I'm thinking my son's going to go die overseas, but yet he doesn't, he comes home and he dies. He doesn't, he, he doesn't die abroad. He dies at home. And it's, it's crazy yep. to just think about stuff like that. But um, so it what's is. the, what's the plan with, um with past purpose? Like what's going on? Like, how can we help? What can I do? Or, you know, how can anybody who wants to help out with it, what can they do? So the biggest thing is, is, I mean, to all the, to all the veterans out there, first of all, all the veterans, you know, of, of, Iraq and Afghanistan, um, the first thing I, I want to say is go out there and get screened. Um, so the first thing I want you to do is go to the VA website and go register for the burn pay registry. Once you're in there and you're registered, they're going to ask you questions of various places you have banned inside the world. Um, after that, you need to contact the VA directly and follow up after you make that, that burn pit registry um, fill out information screen after that you need to call the va and follow up with your environmental health um, coordinator because they're going to get you a screen for these toxic exposures as far as um, any of these nasty nasty pathogens that we're basically dealing with um, that are you know coming from these pits so i mean that's going to help um and it's going to get that early um kind of um i guess i in a way to catch those screens, you know? Um, and then the biggest thing too is now moving forward, um, we'll be having events here soon. Um, 2020, you know, COVID kind of messed a lot of people up and, you know, becoming a nonprofit, you know, it takes about, you know, six to eight, six months to a year to, to start. So we started in, in the beginning of, you know, this year. Um, so we should be up and running 100% official within the next couple months. Um, but we got uh, bright future. Uh, we'll be going to a lot of uh, events. I'm just kind of advocating for veterans in general, um, just trying to make them known like of these effects. And it's not just when it comes to toxic exposures too. It's you know for the PTSD, you know for the mental health issues as well too. You know, I want to be able just not to sit on one side of the, the spectrum. You know, I want to be able to help veterans and kind of all areas you know because this, this veteran community that we're in is is a it needs help as far as we need to get these veterans talking we need to get these veterans screen we need to get a like yeah. you know so when it comes to you with the podcast you need to get these stories out here you need, you need yeah, to, yeah. You know, there, there's so many different things that we could do because i mean we're so big and there's a lot of people hurting they don't even know what they're hurting from just yeah. because they're they have so many issues going on right now yeah, and it's uh, it's crazy that you actually, you know, another thing I, I want to bring up before we kind of end this is um, if you get a chance, um, I'll send you his link on Instagram. There's this guy. His name is Chad Robichaud. He um, Have yeah. you heard about him? Yes, I think so. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So he, he just, he did a, um, so he, he's a Christian. He did an I Am Second, um, kind of talks about his, um, he had issues with suicidal um, ideations had issues with alcoholism, um, had issues to the point where he was about to divorce his wife. They moved out. Um, And then he actually went ahead and with his wife and I guess a couple of other people, um, they ended up making their own nonprofit organization to where it's kind of like a go away type rehab. Um, And they, they pay for it and stuff. And it's really cool. Like the, he goes into the whole thing. I was actually, I actually ended up talking to him the other day on his Instagram and I was just going like like a half hour. I was going back and forth with the time to, like, telling him I invited him on the podcast yeah. one day, and he was like, "Bro, definitely." He's like, "Whenever you want me out, you know, whenever you want me," because he has his own podcast too. Um, yeah. So it's just crazy, man, and, and it's good to see 
you know, like you said, man, like people coming together to do these things for veterans because back in the day they didn't have this. You know, they didn't. No, have they the didn't. To do these things, they so didn't. it's good that we're we're all trying to make make ends meet and just put it together. Um, I, lastly, before we kind of end this, man, um, I didn't ask you what do you do besides doing this nonprofit or trying to get this nonprofit going. What do you do as far as like work? Like, what do you so do, I work, person? I, I work for Valvoline. I'm a manager of a, of a service center here in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I work, you know, your regular, I guess, nine to five job. Okay. Um, that's essentially what I do. And then I got, the, you know, two kids and a wife. So I got the work and the family, family life. Nice. Yep. So that's, Good, uh, that's usually what I do. Uh, okay. Nothing, nothing too crazy. I mean, I, right. I like to I like to smoke shit on on my my fun side. You know, like I, I smoke briskets, freaking pork butts. Man, I, I smoke anything, bro. That's, that's <laughs> nice. my little hobby. Nice. So you, you know, I, that's usually what I'm doing. All right, I'll have to come out to Ohio one day. Oh yeah, but, oh, um, yeah. Just give but... me like a 12 hour advance, so I know I can get the brisket, <laughs> so I get the brisket ready for you, bro. All right, I got you, bro. But um, <laughs> hey, man, listen, I really want to just thank you so much for coming out, man. Um, being on the podcast, bro. Um, hey, we'll I definitely have. It. I'll definitely invite you back out. We'll definitely have more conversations about different things. Um, and once you guys do get up and running, if there's a GoFundMe that I can somehow support, um, yeah, I have definitely. a guy. I, I one one thing I was talking to my wife about. Um, is I have a guy who's going to make my t-shirts for me. Um, at yes. some point, at some point we can do like a collaboration where my, my t-shirt with your, you on, with your guys' logo on the back. Um, yeah. and then we can yes. do like a fundraiser for you guys or something like that. Yeah, so, yeah, um, definitely. any, yes. anything I can do to be of help. I know that I'm, I'm in Jersey locally to, to Bree. So anything that I can do to help you guys out here in New Jersey, um, please let me know. Um, and again, man, just thank you so much for coming on. And uh, hopefully one of these days I can meet you face to face. Hey, I appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. I love what you do, man. Thank you. All thank right, you. brother. All right. Have a good night. Hey, you too. Happy yeah. July 4th. Hey, happy 4th of July, buddy. Right.